We continue this morning with our sermon series of your questions, questions from the congregation. Here is the question for this morning. On several occasions, Jesus told his followers, take up your cross and follow me. This implies a burden which seems contrary to the liberating joy of salvation. So are we falling short if we do not always feel challenged? I like this question. I like it because it's so big, but at the same time, it goes to the heart of so many decisions that we make on a daily basis. It's, it's hard not to compare our own walk of faith with others, to wonder if we are where we need to be spiritually. Is it supposed to be easy? Is it supposed to be hard? Is it our place to tell someone who is soul-stricken and struggling that they should lighten up because of all the joy they have in Christ? Or is it our place to confront someone who is reveling in the joy of God's creation and tell them they must not really be following Jesus to Calvary and beyond? As I meditated on these and other questions this week, I was surprised to find myself thinking about a book that I read almost 20 years ago. Now, I know how much everyone loves 19th century Russian lit. So you will be thrilled to know that the book that came to mind was Crime and Punishment by Dostoevsky. If you have not read it, or if you've successfully repressed all knowledge of it, that's okay. It is the story of a university student named Raskolnikov. He couldn't afford to keep going to school anymore, but he learned something there that stirred him to action. See, he had decided that there are certain people, special people, who transcend the limitations of the masses. He believed that morality was really only for regular people. But special people, like Napoleon, don't get held accountable for things that regular people get arrested for. And wouldn't you know it, he figured out that he himself was one of these special people. And so he reasons, it doesn't matter what he does, even if he were to kill somebody. Now, he, he doesn't want to do this for money or even for some sick thrill but just because he believes he is morally superior. The bulk of this quite long book reflects Raskolnikov increasingly burdened by guilt that he never imagined he would feel for his crimes. As the reader, we are seeing the world from Raskolnikov's point of view, so there's no real whodunit mystery here. But what captured my attention and stuck in my memory even after 20 years when most of the book was really well forgotten was a curious plot development from early on. One floor below where the murder took place, a painter and his brother were working. One of the painters, Nikolai, confessed to the crime. He turned himself in. He let himself be interrogated, and he sat in jail waiting for his trial and punishment. Nikolai didn't know Raskolnikov. He wasn't homeless or starving to death or anything like that. He had no real reason to confess, but he did. 
Later on in the book, the detective on the case talks about this curious confession, which he thinks smells pretty fishy. He says that Nikolai's family was part of an old separatist religious sect. Years before, Nikolai had been trained by a holy elder secluded in the wilderness. He had been taught to read and reread the true books for their hidden wisdom. And now that he's in jail, he's dived back into the Bible. The detective tells Raskolnikov, do you know what they mean when they talk of taking suffering upon themselves? They don't mean suffering for anyone in particular, just that one has to suffer. That means accept suffering. And if it's from the authorities, so much the better. This was probably the first time in my whole life that I had ever heard of someone who believes that the central message of our faith is that we should and must seek out suffering, embrace suffering, and hold it up as a badge of our faithfulness. And we can read the Bible in this way. We can read the suffering servant passages from Isaiah, especially Isaiah 52 and 53, which says, the one who serves God so greatly will be despised and rejected by others. He will be a man of suffering. Or take that passage that Joe read from 2 Corinthians. Paul says, as servants of God, we have commended ourselves in every way through great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings. You get the picture. If we are reading the Bible to glorify human suffering, we can put together passages to do just that. On the other hand, and probably much less surprisingly, there are others who read the scriptures looking for the Bible to be a key to the easy life. The passage from Malachi is a favorite among this crowd. If you give your full and complete offering to the church, to the preacher, to God, then test God and see how money rains down for you. There are those who would read these words from Luke 1. Nothing will be impossible with God. And they would reduce that to God as sort of a cosmic genie who grants our wishes and gives us all the desires of our hearts. There are Bible verses that seem tailor-made for this kind of theology. Like John 14, where Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If in my name you ask for anything, I will do it. And so the question comes back, is your faith too hard or is it too easy? Because the same Jesus who said, take up your cross and follow me, also said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And this means that our faith must hold both of those clearly in view. But perhaps it also means that we need to look very closely about what we think the cross is and what we think abundance is. Jesus chose the cross. By this I mean to say that Jesus could have been wealthy and comfortable. He could have limited his his ministry to all the right people. 
He could have kept his mouth shut and avoided a lot of pain and heartache on our behalf. For that matter, he could have chosen to be born in a tropical paradise, but he didn't. Every day, with every decision, Jesus chose the path that led to the cross and beyond. Because the path that leads to the cross is one that sees the world through eyes of love. This love does not turn away from suffering hearts, no matter what people tell us is wrong with them. This love looks at our divisions and our prejudices and understands them as well as an infant would. And Jesus loved with his whole being, no matter who it bothered. And he found others who marveled at such love and were drawn to it and wanted to learn to love as God would have us love. Questioning who exactly is worthy of God's love? Everyone. Who is worthy of dignity and respect? Everyone. That is what led to the cross. Some days, when we practice loving like that, that love is welcomed and shared. It's celebrated among strangers who become friends. These days are like the sun coming out from behind the clouds and filling us with warmth and strength. Other days, that love is not shared. It is not believed and it is rejected, sometimes violently, tearing at our souls. And then we hold Jesus tight and we ask him to hold us up, to give us the strength to stay on the path that loves no matter what. If we look closer at all these passages that are talking about suffering and the ones that talk about abundance, we see grace, joy, and endurance woven into each one of them. It's one of the things that I love so much about that reading from 2 Corinthians. It's not just Paul complaining to the church of Corinth about everything he's had to endure on their behalf. This is not an epic biblical guilt trip promise. He freely admits the hardships that can come in serving God and following Christ. But that's not the end of the story. He has also shown himself to be a servant of Christ by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, holiness of spirit, genuine love, truthful speech, and the power of God. There are those who treat him as a phony, a nobody, a nothing to be cast aside. But he knows that in Christ, he is true and alive and rejoicing. By the standards of the abundance of the world, he has nothing. But in Christ, he already has everything. In the gospel lesson this morning, Jesus tells us that when we break away from the familiar and follow him wherever he leads us, we might be tempted to see only what we've lost. But nothing is lost in God. Jesus says right now in this age, what we let go of is returned a hundredfold, a home, 
a family, a livelihood. But there are persecutions. There is a cross that comes from living in that love. But it comes amidst daily blessings and grace and brothers and sisters in Christ who adopt us right back. This morning, we will celebrate the sacrament of baptism, a sign and a seal from God that reminds us that our walk of faith is no burden. Embraced by God, we revel in the liberating joy that our salvation is in the hands of our maker, our redeemer, and our sustainer. And that means that together we can find the way of love whether easy or hard, to bring glory to God's holy name. Amen.